Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan. Bears, 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 bears. Football, football, football. You know what? I'd like to say you're wrong, Molly, but you're not wrong very often. David Haw. That was one of the best questions you've ever asked. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to get an answer just as good. Chicago Sports Talk for your morning on 670 The Score. I know this is high praise, but to have him out there is like having, I I shouldn't even go there, but like he's having like Michael Jordan out there. Like he's your leader. He's your leader. He's your guy. He's your, like... Like that's hopefully that's the biggest respect I can pay to him. I don't need to say too much. We put all that work in, um, everything that we kind of had to overcome. So we were playing for a lot. He's a great guy, a great person, and he works extremely hard. He wants to be the best. And as a coach, you go, what more can you ask for? I'm still so early in my career. I mean, I, I feel like. All I focus on is winning the day. Uh, how can I get better today to prepare myself for the end of the week and uh, this game that we're playing in? And I've always thought that you go out there and handle business the right way and do what you do and you win football games, that stuff handles itself. So I never really think about my legacy after football. That, that'll be something that I think about after I'm done playing. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw, 5.30 till 10 a.m. It's today Thursday? Yeah. On 670 The Score. Come there, you're a legend. Let's go. Mullen Hodge, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It is Thursday morning. Tom Thayer is a legend, and he is in the house for Mully today. Good morning, Tom. Welcome into our studio. Thank you for getting up so early. Looking forward to the show today. You know, as we come to find out over time, the word legend is so overused <laughs> in so many aspects of life, and that's one of them that you Great brought up. Great point, Tom. Right. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> See? Great is also one of those words that we overuse. Right. Yeah. Tremendous idea. That's a great. Speaking of when you got introduced and the question that you asked George McCaskey, did he answer the question that you asked of him? I don't believe he did. I don't think he did. Uh, I think he dodged it. That was his way of deflecting it. That was back in the days when we were all Zoom all the time. Right. And I don't think he ever really got a direct. uh, I never got a direct answer to that question. But it gave us a drop for the ages. So if you were in the Hallis Hall room with the other 30, 40 members of the media on a daily basis, yeah. would you have had that retort to him? Or what, did you get have a little bit of that on-screen confidence? No, I, I don't think that's a good question. I, I don't think that given my relationship with George over the years that it would have been any different. Right. I, I have a good rapport with him. I feel comfortable with him. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful to him. It was just kind of one of those things. You know how you have a dynamic with certain people that either you're around and you kid around with or whatever the case may be. With him, you feel like that's okay. David Hall? David, you're muted. (laughs) Sorry about that. Hello, George. (laughs) So That was one of the best questions you've ever asked. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to get an answer just as good. That was the whole in its totality. Thank you, Brad. I mean, I you know I listen to it in the mornings, and I I because I can put myself in, in that position. I know all parties, and I listen to your response, and I always think, you know, was it a wise guy retort? Was it a wise I, guy reaction, it, or did George have fun with it? I think he had fun with it. I, I you know that's the thing with him. You know him. His sense of humor is that you can do that with him and not feel like you're crossing the line. Right. I wouldn't be like that with everybody. I, I mean, there's certain people that right. you cover or you, you in a press conference setting, you know where the line is and you don't want to cross it because you know that they don't have a sense of humor. I think George McCaskey has a sense of humor. In your, in your career, do you remember your most uh, – the question that you wish that you could have put back in your face as soon as it came out? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are moments like that where you come to mind. You know, right. Brian Urlacher once, I think, uh, 
called me out on a during a press conference. I asked him a question that was well, I I asked him a question over the phone that got him to you know rant at me in in a way that I is, was memorable. Way back when I covered Notre Dame in South Bend, I remember asking Lou Holtz something that, that set him off a little bit. Yeah. yeah, there are moments that you cringe when when you remember them, like, oh, <laughs> what were they thinking there? <laughs> and there might be more of those today. I mean, it happens every day, Tom. You never know quite what's going to happen when when things are live and you're reacting and whatever the case may be. So thank you for being here today. You know, we want to get to all the Super Bowl stuff. We want to get to all of the Bears stuff because – we want to tap into your expertise, but funny thing happened on the way to the Super Bowl. The NBA trade deadline hijacked the Super Bowl news cycle again. This is crazy. Overnight, while you slept, sports fans, Kevin Durant was traded. The Nets are in the midst of getting rid of everybody who can, you know, who is an all-star on their roster. One day it's Kyrie Irving. Last night, overnight, it was Kevin Durant. He's on his way to Phoenix. He's going to the Suns in a blockbuster trade, a package that includes Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, and four, count them, four first-round draft picks. Kevin Durant goes to Phoenix, and he's going to be with T.J. Warren, and now they have their big three. Now they have their championship core. Now they're going to make another run at it. Very big move, very big deal in the NBA. I mean, is it really though? So, so last year, you're sitting here, you're saying the same story about bringing in Durant, Irvin, and James Harden together. Those guys played a total of 16 games together, and that was the benchmark trade that was going to bring the championship to New York. So, wow. what have they done since then? They fired their head coach. They got rid of their three superstars who they thought they were going to be the building blocks of the future. Um, and so I don't, and, and again, I'm like you, I went to sleep last night and said, oh, you know, you know, the NBA deadline, the trade deadline is coming up. And then you wake up a couple of hours later. Um, and then all of a sudden Kevin Durant is front page of the sports section, hey, TV, radio, telephone, however everything. you're looking at it. He's leading off every, uh, sports report on any network that you see that covers sports. We're talking about it first. And I, I think that. It shows you the caliber of player that he is. He's, you know, the most unstoppable scorer in the NBA when healthy. And now he gives the Suns reason to believe that they are in a Western conference that's up for grabs. They have reason to believe that they can win it all now. So that's why it's a big deal. And you're right, though, because maybe Steve Nash wasn't so dumb. Right. Maybe that he wasn't the guy that deserved all of the blame. That was a combustible collection of three players in Harden, Kyrie and Kevin Durant that didn't mix together well. And we saw some of the reasons why, but I don't think it was all Kevin Durant in that mix. When you're, when you're ranking kind of prima donnas or difficult personalities, I think that as touchy and sensitive as Kevin Durant is, he might be third on that list of those big, of that big three. I agree a hundred percent with you. I think if you can put him in a great working atmosphere, that's pleasant for him to walk in every day um, because as a, as a player, he's as good as you get in the NBA. But you need you, you know being just a great player is only a part of the potion. You you have to have a good working atmosphere. You have to have a guy that comes in and he's got positive energy inside the locker room that kind of is deflected to other players on the team that need a little bit of that boost. So yeah, uh, listen, I don't want Ir- uh, Kyrie Irving on my team. I don't want him anywhere near it. 
I like James Harden. He, I, he's never done anything so egregiously out of bounds, but he's kind of complained and whined. And he just takes a casual him. approach sometimes right. when he gets it seems bored. Yeah, but by Durant, what's happening. Durant is the guy. Durant I, is and, the guy. And, and I love Booker out in Arizona, and I, I think that this probably puts him back in the best position to win a championship since his younger days. Kyrie Irving scored twenty four points in his debut for the Mavericks. He did not have Luca. Big deal. Right. I'm not a, a Kyrie guy, and I I don't know if that's going to work out. I am curious what's going to go on with the Suns, though, because now they have Devin Booker, they've got Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, and they add Kevin Durant to that mix with a coach in Monty Williams that knows how to get the most out of his entire roster and I think is one of the more underrated great coaches in the NBA. Yeah, I'm not exaggerating. He, I think he is a great coach. Did you ever have any interaction? I know he came after you were at Notre Dame, but over the years, because of your connection, both Notre Dame grads, did you ever run into Monty Williams? Only in a team atmosphere. Never individually, never off in the corner having a conversation. It was just either going to a practice or, you know, hanging around the ACC when uh, you know when the guys were in there and I w- and I was there visiting, but um, you know a- you know what Aiton was it Monty Williams and Aiton that they had no communication during the off season. They, they have a problem, right? They, that, they, they're such a, a, a strained relationship that Aiton has been rumored as a potential a guy being moved in a trade right. before well, this deal. And that that that's the thing moving forward with Durant. Is Durant the kind of guy that can come in and be a problem solver and maybe open up the lines of communication or at least be a buffer zone in between head coach and player to try to keep this thing on track? Because Aiden's a heck of a player, man. It's amazing how well people get along when you're scoring 35 points a game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Kevin Durant could make that relationship easier to manage and make the Suns certainly one of the teams that you fear in the West. Back in the East, by the way, comma, the Bulls, the Bulls were mentioned in, as part of this potential blockbuster uh, trade, or what it was consummated with the Lakers getting DeAndre. I'm sorry, the Lakers in a big deal got D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt. They go to L.A. Russell Westbrook and a first-round pick to Utah. Mike Conley, the horse champion, uh, and a second-round pick go to the Timberwolves in Minneapolis. The big thing is, though, Utah rumored to have being – they're going to buy out Westbrook's contract. So initially the report was, well, I think it was Chris Haynes who had the report. The Bulls are one of the teams interested in signing Russell Westbrook if he is a buyout – if his contract is bought out by Utah. I understand why that may be a connection people want to make. Billy Donovan has coached Michael or Russell Westbrook uh, with Oklahoma City. To me, it seems like a desperate move. It would be a desperate move to get Russell Westbrook in Chicago for a season that isn't clearly headed anywhere. I I, I don't want a thing to do with them. You know, I mean, I just you know you know one thing about the Bulls is when you look when you watch the Bulls games, you listen to the Bulls games, you kind of listen for the working atmosphere that these guys are uh, on the court, and it just doesn't seem like um, there's a lot of a positive momentum going around that team. There's question marks about getting back on defense. There's question marks about mistakes being made. You know, 
I just, I don't know. I'm so leery of the Bulls right now. And I, you know, I was disappointed back when they signed Zach Levine to that big contract because I never agreed with the amount of money they gave him. And you're already talking about a guy that you're going to give that amount of money to. And you're talking about extensive knee situations that present themselves where you can't play back to backs or you get worn down a little bit mid season and all the other kind of stuff that goes with the enormity of the contract he got. If you look into signing Russell Westbrook, if you do bring him to Chicago, to me, it would underscore just how far off track this season has gotten because this could not have been part of your plan. And I don't know that it represents a plan except for, you know, breaking case of an emergency plan. If you sign Russell Westbrook since signing his five year, I think 200 plus million dollar extension with Oklahoma city, he's been traded to Houston. He was traded to Washington he was traded to L.A. Now he's traded to Utah. Five trades in five years. There's no stability there. I don't know what you would be doing with the Bulls except for conceding the fact that you don't know what you're doing and you're stuck in this basketball NBA purgatory. I just don't think it makes a lot of sense. And if you do bring him to town, you are basically announcing that we don't really know what the plan is. But he's one of five guys you already have on the roster. If you go look at the template of right. the Chicago Bulls players and you put them in line with Caruso and the rest of those guys and Kobe White and the rest of the guys at that size, that's what he is. He's got so many similar similar traits to all those guys. It seems like you're just bringing in a, a bench full of 6'3 to 6'5 guys. Now, he's athletic, he's explosive, but he's not the same player he used to be. He's you know, The Bulls need three-point shooters. They need to space the floor. Russell Westbrook, at this stage of his career, is not a three-point shooter. Is The problem is that nobody has told him that, and he doesn't accept that. He'll take threes. He's a three-point shooter. He's just not a three-point maker. He can't make any threes, even though he'll never stop taking them. He takes a lot of bad shots. Dustin, you have thoughts. You look like you want to weigh in on the Russell Westbrook. Oh, I, I mean, I, my initial thought is I agree with Tom wholeheartedly. I don't want anything to do with him. But Brandon and I were talking about it right before we got on the air. And Brandon mentioned, I thought it was a great point, like maybe the relationship that Westbrook has with Billy Donovan could fix everything. Like maybe that's what could make it okay. So I'm saying if the Bulls were to stand pad at 2 o'clock and then add a Westbrook to take the place of Ball – and then does that give AK and Billy Donovan the chance to work with the roster, work with the team that they imagined? It places an inordinate amount of trust and faith in Billy Donovan to get a lot out of a player who has been one of the biggest disappointments in the NBA over the last five years. I, I understand, and I, you know, I'm the biggest Billy Donovan guy there is, right. but I think that putting this on him is asking a lot for a player I don't know, I'm Brandon, watching him, do you think that he has anything left? Because I don't watch a ton of Lakers games, but I have seen enough to know, because everybody watches LeBron, he's been more of a problem than he has been a solution. Only thing I think is he fits Billy Donovan's offense. Now, I know it's been five years ago around that time, but, I mean, he had his best seasons with Billy Donovan running that offense. Maybe – that's the only thing. Besides that, I mean, it, he's missing the three-point shooting. I mean, I don't know if he can really run an offense, but... Can he be facilitator? Can I mean, he, he can be unselfish? He, I don't know about unselfish. That's the thing, is that he can definitely make plays. He can definitely get the ball to the right people. 
but is he going to enjoy that role? Is that going to be enough for him? I think you're asking for trouble if you bring him in. Isn't that James Harden from Houston a couple years ago when he took so many shots and he was the only guy that was dribbling the ball up the court? And when he wanted to facilitate it around to other guys, he would, but he's going to most likely take a shot. You can't bring in a guy like that here. You know, if, if Russell Westbrook could shoot like James Harden, I might take him. But I don't right. think that he is that kind of shooter anymore. And I don't know if he ever was. And I don't know if he's as explosive or consistent. And the, all, the other thing is, too, uh, again, I think I would keep an open mind if they do that because they are conceding a lot of things and going that direction. But this is a team that struggles protecting the basketball in the fourth quarter. They're, they're, they turn the ball over way too often. And Russell Westbrook, at this stage of his career, is a very careless ball handler. So I just don't know if it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I, I agree. I it's I mean, you look at the big picture of the NBA right now, and you look where ultimately we all hope the Bulls will eventually go. And I don't think if there ever did lead to the playoffs and onto the championship, Westbrook is not going to be the key to success. Yeah, I just don't know what that says about your plan, except for you know, plan A did not go terribly well. Plan B didn't work out either. This is either C, D, E, or F. I just don't know which one it would be. And here we are talking about the Bulls, talking about the uh, big NBA trade. And, and, Tom, we're in the midst of Super Bowl week. Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, spoke yesterday. Andy Reid and, and Nick Sirianni are talking every day. Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts are. The Super Bowl is going on. And I want to know, know what you think about this. Why is the NBA trade deadline on the Thursday, today at 2 p.m., of Super Bowl week. They've got to do something about this. I know it's a, like maybe only a media thing, but you cannot allow, if you're the NFL, that, that thinks about everything. They own Thursday night. They own Sunday night. They own Monday night. They want to own Saturdays too. You can't allow the NBA trade deadline to hijack the Super Bowl news cycle. Yeah, but the NFL is continuously trying to stretch out their season. Look, we played the Super Bowl on January 26th. The Super Bowl parade would have already come and gone. Most of these guys would have been going to the Waste Management Golf Tournament in Arizona (laughs) to try to be a part of that. So I do think, and I think it's going to get even longer. I think the NFL is going to try to take up the entire month of February. So wherever, you know, they had their – you know, their itinerary put in place with the NBA season and everything. Yeah, they had to look that it falls in the, in the way of the Super Bowl. But, you know, it doesn't make any difference because they're still going to play the game and we still woke up to Kevin Durant being traded. So, yes, you know. and, and, and part of the reason that trade happened was because of the 2 p.m. deadline, deadline spur action. So my point would be if you are someone in the NFL commissioner's office, if you're Roger Goodell – and you wake up this morning and everybody's talking about Kevin Durant and everybody's talking about the Lakers' big trade. You want them to be talking about Patrick Mahomes' ankle. You want them to be talking about Jalen Hurts' ascension. You want them to be talking football. They're not talking football. And most shows like this lead with the Kevin Durant trade. That's why that off week, they didn't play football last weekend. They didn't have anything to look forward to a week ago Thursday. Put it there. Move it back. Do something that where when you have when you know that you can count on the NBA to come through because it's a league that loves the big trade. Put it sometime when you're not leading up to the biggest game in America's biggest sport. But you know, even though we're Thursday approaching the Super Bowl, I still would love to have a conversation with Steve Nash because I would like to backtrack to him when he had the job, and then they brought aboard the big three that they thought were going to bring the you know move this. Uh, 
New York franchise forward and, and possibly getting into the championship. It, it never happened. Then they fired Steve Nash. Now everybody's gone. You think you got a raw deal? I, I do. You know, I, I just do in the sense just like I think Frank Reich did in Indianapolis because he's the guy that benched Matt Ryan. And then he got fired for benching Matt Ryan. Then they brought in Jeff Saturday and they put Matt Ryan back in place. Matt Ryan was one of the worst quarterbacks at the end of the season that that I saw this year. And But is, was Frank Reich correct in making the decision he made? And it's the same thing with Nash. Was his, Were his hands tied because he had three guys that were perceived as NBA superstars that were making it more difficult to come to work every day? Did you listen to Roger Goodell, and we'll get to this at the pick six, yesterday in his annual State of the League address? Again, this is like story four or five nationally. Usually it, it commands a lot more attention. I what was your first impression in hearing what Roger Goodell had to say? The biggest takeaway to me had to do with the officiating it, it, because I just don't know how he could say what he said with a straight face. He's got to say, he has to say it because, uh, you know, he's trying to um, convince everybody that the enormity of his salary, that he's doing a great job. And when he comes out and he says the officiating has never been better, you know, that, you know, that's the case, but you've also added a bunch of different ways to look at the officiating from cameras upstairs to people in New York to floating cameras above the game to cameras in the pylon so you can see everything. Uh, it it doesn't make officiating any easier, but you know to make a statement that it's never been better, I, I think it's also just trying to give everybody an indication that Roger Goodell is doing his job. I, I heard you in the booth each and every Sunday. I don't think that you, based on the kind of year you just had, Tom, would agree with Roger Goodell in terms of saying the officiating is just fine. No. You had a couple of times this year where, I, okay, maybe not, but you're here, I'll ask you. It seemed like you were a little bit more critical of the officiating this year than I have heard you in the past. Would well, you say that's probably true? Yeah. You know, a lot of it has to do, though, with Justin. Because, you know, it's just like, um, you know, talking about where Jalen Hurts is at is his career. He's finally getting the respect as a veteran quarterback around the league that the officials give him, not give him the calls, but they're willing to make the calls when he takes a, a hit like he did in the latter parts of the, or throughout the season, and the officials never made the call. So it's like saying, okay, Justin, you earn a little years of service, and then we'll start giving you those calls. And that's unfair to him. But it's also the other ones, the interference call against um, Chase Claypool in the Miami game. Just, you know, when you see things from the booth that you immediately recognize them, and then you have an official that's standing five feet away that either doesn't throw the flag, he's ignoring the guy that was just out of bounds, or it's just a bad call that you can see whether it's you sitting in the press box or me sitting in the booth. Yeah, I don't know that it's getting any better either. And I think this year, because that's a great point, with Justin Fields, I think there was a lot more focus on calls that weren't being made, and it seemed like there was a consistent pattern of non-calls or bad calls. So, yeah, maybe that's just why it stood out a little bit more this year than in the past. Or maybe you were just a little louder. It's hard to you know. It's hard to hold on when because there's there's times where I see things happen a couple seconds before, right. and then the official never makes the call, or else someone throws the flag that's completely and out out of their jurisdiction. But the guy sitting on top of it didn't. But what's fun though, you were saying what everybody was thinking. That's that's the idea, right? You want to <laughs> well, be able to. That's not going to stop. Yeah, no, that's not going <laughs> to stop. All right, we will get into all of it on the pick six. We'll talk about the officiating. 
that Roger Goodell praised on Thursday. On Wednesday, excuse me, we'll talk about the state of the quarterbacks and what Patrick Mahomes' ankle is like, and, of course, the blockbuster trades. And we'll talk Bears because there's a lot of things going on, and NFL honors the awards are being given out tonight. There's a lot to get to today. Tom Thayer in for Mully. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It's Pick 6 with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick 6 with Mully and Haw starts now. Overnight, the Suns traded Kevin Durant to and the Lakers made a blockbuster deal that could result in Russell Westbrook being bought out. One report says the Bulls could sign Westbrook if he was available. What's your reaction to the Westbrook report and the big moves hour before today's trade deadline deal? That trade broke at midnight, 12.06 a.m. Chicago time. So while you slept, Kevin Durant moved and made the Suns into what likely will, will be the NBA favorites. You look at the East and the Celtics, still maybe the most complete team. The Bucks will have to have a say in it. The Nets no longer are a factor. They are dismantled completely now. And we'll find out if the Bulls can take advantage of that tonight, 6-15 right here on the score. The only local broadcast. I think, yeah, the, the Suns, I understand what they're doing. Kevin Durant engineered that whole thing. That is the biggest story in sports today. As for what Russell Westbrook, it bears repeating. We'll talk about this throughout the show. This will be talked about throughout the day on this station. Russell West, Rex Westbrook, I think Russell Westbrook could be toxic to any team that, that dares to bring him into the mix. I understand and respect Billy Donovan's ability to communicate, to orchestrate, to to telestrate, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say in terms of He's going to draw things up. He's going to communicate with players. But Russell Westbrook, this would be his fifth team in five years. Not at this stage of his career. Not now. I don't think he would help. I think he would hurt, be more uh, liability than asset. And who knows what the money would be. So I don't know that you would be in a good position if you're the Bulls. You would be conceding a lot. I don't know what you would do in terms of your salary cap and how you would have to maneuver your roster. And I don't want to get rid of somebody who matters for somebody who might and somebody you doubt to the extent that Russell Westbrook uh, would would create that doubt. He hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt, so no, stay away. Well, my overall reaction right away is, and you guys mentioned in the first segment, is that the NBA has actually bitten into Super Bowl week. That usually never happens that the association could grab a headline and just based on the first question of the pick six this morning, right? That That's the initial reaction. It's like, wow. Um Kevin Durant to the Suns, you know what that makes me? It makes me want to watch a Suns game now. Now, now I'm going to be interested. When one of those games pops up on TNT or the four-letter network, I, I'm going to set my DVR. I, I probably won't stay up that late for it, uh, getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning to come here, but I will uh, I will spire up the DVR to do that. On the Westbrook front, David, I agree. Toxic is a word for Kevin for uh, Russell Westbrook, but but – if Billy Donovan is as good as everybody thinks he is, that's his job to to scrub the toxic off of him and make it work. And we're going to learn a lot about AK. That's one big Brillo pad. If you uh, yeah, one big Brillo that. pad, a I mean, uh, $100 million Brillo pad. I, it's going to be very interesting to see what AK really thinks of this roster because now the East just got a little bit more winnable. There, there's, another, there's no way the Nets 
should end up playing in the playoffs now. They should not be a playoff team. So this is one more peg that you don't have to worry about. I'm very curious to see what AK does between now and 2 o'clock. Yeah, you know, I agree. Arizona is going to be a team worth watching throughout the remainder of the season and kind of see what type of spark or influence Kevin Durant has in these guys. Because I would like to see Kevin Durant come in and have a positive attitude every night, whether he's meeting the press after the game or leading up to the game itself. Is he going to take shots away from Booker? Now Booker's going to become more disgruntled because he wants the amount of shots that he believes that his contract has afforded him. And there's other guys on that team that want the basketball as well. But Kevin Durant is a guy that can be a difference maker between um, playing in a, a, a series or winning a championship. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm excited to see what Kevin's going to bring. You know, the, the the Lakers, I don't know. I think it just there's more about selling tickets to the final, uh, you know, tally of uh, – LeBron James and what ultimately he's going to do at the end of this year and how he goes to the microphone and says he still wants to play a couple more years. But no matter where he's playing, he's not going to – he's not the type of guy that's going to bring a championship at this stage of his career single-handedly. He needs a type of players that they were – you know, that he thinks they hopefully brought in because he is the decision maker there. You know, one thing about the Bulls, I don't care about Westbrook because the Bulls, it's about winning a series. Within the last three years, they had a nine-game winning series, a nine-game winning streak last year. And I think this year, I think their longest is four. Is Westbrook going to come in here and be the guy that's going to turn these guys over so they can win a series in the playoffs? No. And so I think if anybody focuses their attention to any sports team outside ultimately winning a championship, you're kind of trying to fix the wrong leak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big question. Which quarterback Sunday has the most at stake? Patrick Mahomes trying to win another Super Bowl to keep pace with Tom Brady in a quest to be the greatest ever, or Jalen Hurts trying to ascend to the next tier of NFL quarterbacks? You know, to me, I think it's Patrick Mahomes because he signed this half a billion dollar 10-year deal and they're going to have to lose pieces um, according to the football puzzle because of the amount of money Patrick Mahomes is going to make when Jalen Hurts is still, you know, an, an up-and-comer and he's looking for that that contract. And I think Philly has a majority of their roster signed around him, so he's got a, so, a solid supporting cast. And Jalen Hurts is continuing to improve uh, his athleticism, his accuracy, his arm talent, his knowledge of the game, and his ded dedication to his team. So to me, I still think Mahomes, if he goes in and loses another Super Bowl, then he's going to start getting that reputation of, yeah, he can get you to the big game. Because a couple of years ago when Todd Bowles attacked him in the Super Bowl, he put him in a retreat position and he never gave him no. He never gave him the success moving forward. And I think Philly has those same capabilities. Well, I think it depends on how you look at pressure, okay, or mo most to gain. Personal gain, it's by far and away Jalen Hurts. Okay, you know, when you win a Super Bowl, when you shut up all the critics and you set yourself up and your family up financially, it, all those things can happen on Sunday for Jalen Hurts. It, you know, Tom alluded to the half a billion dollar contract that Patrick Mahomes like that they can't take that back. That that's that he's going to get every cent of that. He already has a Super Bowl. Um, but to Tom's point as well, the fact that he has gotten there, now he's won and he's lost. You don't want to be the guy that gets there and loses. But, you know, as long as you have a ring, you're always going to go down as one of the greats. So I think personally, 
there's more at stake for Hertz. But as far as his career goes and reputation goes, I think there's as much on the line for Mahomes. I understand that, but I think in terms of stakes, let's say that the Chiefs lose. On Monday morning, we are still going to consider Patrick Mahomes the best quarterback in the NFL and one of the best of all time. So regardless of what happens and if he loses his second Super Bowl and now has a losing record in Super Bowls, he's still been to three, and he's still 27 years old. Heck, if he plays as long as Tom Brady, he's got 18 years left. I don't think he's going to play 18 more. But my point being that he's still going to be known and he's still going to be, in reality, the best quarterback in the National Football League on Monday morning, regardless of the outcome. If you're Jalen Hurts and you lose this game, you still did a, had a great year, you still took a, a huge step, and you're still the unquestioned leader of the best team in the NFC, but you have missed an opportunity. He can put himself in a very special category in Philadelphia and in a different level in the National Football League with a victory. One victory away from football immortality in a football town in Philly, and I think legitimacy for the long term in the NFL, the way we view him. There's never been a quarterback with Jalen Hurts' skill set that's won a Super Bowl. I, I think he would dispel a lot of myths by by thinking, you know, he's he's not a run first guy, but he also carried the ball 165 times this year. Five more, I think six more than Justin Fields did. So he can change a lot of the way people look at quarterbacks. He can help himself the more he has, to me, the most at stake. Can we, can we revisit this subject later yes. and maybe have a little bit of a Patrick Mahomes and Jim Kelly debate? Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah, we'll do that. That's, that's a, I'm, I'm fascinated now to know where you're going with that specific comparison. What a tease. What a radio pro over here. <laughs> now let him ask the whole question. Mm. <laughs> there it is. Somehow, NFL Commissioner Roger declared, Goodell declared this on Wednesday about the state of officiating in his league. Uh, I think for us, when you look at officiating, I don't think it's ever been better in the league. How do you react to that in light of what happened during the conference championship games? How do you explain Goodell's stance? Uh, he is selling it because his handlers told him what he has to say. He cannot come off of that. He cannot believe that, though. I don't know how anybody who watches football for a living, and as a commissioner, that is your job description, basically. You're running a league, so you do watch football for a living. How you can, with a straight face, say after the conference championship games, the officiating is, is better than it's ever been? No. It's arguably the other way. You could say because of the stakes are higher than they've ever been, the officiating is is worse than, than it ever has been because of the misses in those championship games, because of the way that, you know, I, I want to hear him say the need for the sky judge and the how we're going to uh, approach full-time official, officiating and maybe you know, supplement the income so guys don't have to have second careers or maybe first careers and do this on the side. I wanted to hear that rather than reinforce this idea that there's so many calls, and we get in it right, and we really do the, the cumulative effect. No, Roger, that's missing the point. The point is, this seems broken. Fix it. When was it ever good, though? Has, has the NFL officiating ever been good? And I think because of the, the cameras and the TV and the angles, we have so many more opportunities to review it and watch it and be 
critical of it. Hey, hey, listen, you know, the stud coach of the 49ers, he, he could have he could have really helped out officials and Roger Goodell a whole bunch by challenging that catch, no catch. Okay, and he should have done it, but he's such a stud that he thought he could, you know, get above that. Um, Mockery noted. Thank you. Just to be just to be sure. Um, and as you said, David, that's his job. He is paid in excess of fifteen million dollars a year to protect the shield. Well, what did you think he was going to say when asked that type of a question? Yeah, you know, Dave, I mean, he's got a he's a lot of self promotion up there, and I don't know if these are he has handlers uh, behind the scenes that are preparing for him for the questions that are going to be asked and how to react to them. Or does he just shoot from the hip? Because when you have a statement, you say it has never been better. Look, you know, that that's a bold statement because what are we talking about? Go ask Sean Payton about pass interference. Go talk about go right. talk to defensive linemen about roughing the quarterback. Uh, go talk to defensive players about the target for tackles that they must abide by in a, in a, in a small amount of area. There's so many things that need to be corrected. But for Roger, to Gal- Roger Goodell to go up there and just make that blanket statement and end and walk away from the podium and not have any second questions being brought up, I just think that he's just uh, justifying the enormity of his salary. And I don't know, what's he making, like $50 million? He's got to be close to that. Over 20 and less than 50, maybe somewhere in between. But I just think when he is that off base with something that obvious to everyone else, it almost discredits anything else that comes out of his mouth. Right. You got to give me an easier question than that, that guy. Patrick Mahomes said his ankle will be fine Sunday. Andy Reid said he likely will not be restricted in the plays he calls for his quarterback. How big a factor will Mahomes' mobility be against the Eagles' pass rush? Is there an element of this game any bigger than the matchup? The Chiefs' pass protection versus the Eagles' pass rush. Yeah, I, I think the Chiefs' pass protection against the Eagles' rush is the number one element for me. Of you kind of break down every little uh, thing that there is going on in this game, that is going to be a factor in the outcome of the game. And, you know, it's kind of funny with Mahomes and you talk about an ankle because leading up to the Super Bowl, McMahon had a really bad butt bruise. And there was a lot of conversation of what he was going to do to make sure that this didn't uh, rear its ugly head during the course of the game. and so have speak. a. Right, and ha- and have a factor in the type of game plan that you have to be prepared. And it's not the same because Mahomes and McMahon-led offense is two completely different uh, animals in terms of the NFL because, you know, you're still having concerns about how to stop Walter Payton. But I do think that Mahomes' ankle will be fine. I, I don't think you're going to see any effects of him having a, a slight limp like he-, like he did in the NFC Championship game. So I think Mahomes is... You know, he'll be fine, but I do think the Eagles' pass rush is going to be better than the Chiefs' offensive line. Well, my fear is that we could get a game like we got a few years ago when the Bucks, Tom referenced it earlier, you know, dominated the Chiefs 31-9. to And I did not take into account how much better the Bucks' offense defensive line was in that game to the Chiefs' offensive line. Now, the Chiefs have gotten better than they were in that Super Bowl. They're, they're not injured. They were injured, and they weren't as talented. They, they've gotten better since then. But that is a huge, huge matchup. I, I mean, that, that could be, you know, if you're looking for a reason 
to bet on the Eagles, this is the reason. This is what will sway and should sway votes, is that that defensive line is going to get after Patrick Mahomes. And can he do better than he did on that Sunday a few years ago against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they got crushed, literally, I mean, 31-9. to nine. That, was a, that was a butt whooping. Yeah, we can focus on the quarterbacks as much as we need to because it is the obvious point that people are going to look at. The Mahomes versus Hurts, that makes sense. But it's going to come down to this. How well can the Chiefs neutralize the Eagles' pass rush, which has been historically good? You go down the list, and it's guys who, you know, how, where, where, do you, where do you stop in terms of a guy that you're concerned about? Brandon Graham, Cox, Hargrave, Sweat, Hassan Reddick. Then you get to the second tier. My goodness sakes, they come in waves. And I just think that as healthy as the Chiefs might be this time around in the Super Bowl, they weren't against the Bucs, and the Bucs took advantage. But I think relatively speaking, this is as big of a challenge just because of how many different rushers that you can send in Patrick Mahomes' way and in that direction. So this is the key matchup. I'm not sure the Chiefs are going to be able to handle it from a physical standpoint. It's going to be on Andy Reid, frankly, to maybe schematically find a way to neutralize a pass rush that, that threatens to control this football game. And so I'm not sure that it will matter, but I do think it's good to hear Patrick Mahomes feeling better about his health because you don't want that to be an excuse and you don't want to get an injury to get in the way of a Super Bowl. Adama Kinsu, he hits you to hurt you. He doesn't just hit you to sack you. Right. And so if he does get one of those explosive pass rushes because the offensive line is all is already tired from blocking that first tier of defense that you talked about, be careful with Adama Kinsu. Pick six of Justin Fields. There's Jeff Joniak, former Bears quarterback Eric Kramer, told NBC Sports Chicago that the Bears should not consider trading Justin Fields. He more than made up for other people's mistakes. Right. And then he, he learned how to play the game at a level I'm not sure he's ever played before. And was he perfect? No. Is there room for growth? Yes. And that's why I think all the talk about trading him, are you out of your freaking mind? Right. Why is this even still a question? Will this continue to be a topic until the Bears draft another player besides a quarterback in the first round? I'm with Eric Kramer. I saw Ian Rappaport as well on Football Night in Chicago and NBC Sports Chicago talk about why they need to explore every possibility, and that's one of them. And I get due diligence in whatever category you want to place it under, but it makes no sense to me. If Instead of due diligence, it seems like wasted time. If you believe in Justin Fields and he has given you every reason to do that last year, I think that 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 decision has been made. If you're still on the fence, then then the the decision has been made. Then you don't believe in him. And then I think it would have gotten further along in terms of the conversation by now. And I don't know why it continues to be out there. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't really buy even you're going to let people believe that you are – possibly going to draft a quarterback I think you can make a deal a good deal the right one if you're Ryan Poles by not having to be disingenuous about it I'm with Eric Kramer I think it's a crazy idea I don't think they're going to trade him and I don't think any kind of speculation about that possibility makes a lot of sense to me it's a crazy idea but I don't mind hearing quarterbacks present and former address this question I I, I like to hear what they they think about it because that was a great reaction from Eric Kramer you know, that, that was that was good. I, I liked what Eric Kramer had to say there. It also, 
whether people believe it or not, you can't just say we're all in on fields and we have no interest in drafting a quarterback. That devalues the value of the number one overall pick. It absolutely does. So you have to put that out there. It has to be it has to be a small possibility. The other thing is, and we've talked about this before, I think Dan Weeder is the one who really trumpeted it on the air, maybe on the Take the North podcast. But remember, the general manager, Ryan Poles, this was not his guy. He did not pick Justin Fields. So when you're the general manager and you have a chance to, air quote, reset with the number one pick in the draft, do you want it to be with your guy? the guy that you're willing, because here's what's going to happen. After draft day, he is either going to be hitched to Justin Fields moving forward or somebody else. You know, when you listen to this question, you look at the big picture. The, if, if I was ever even entertained the thought of possibly trading Justin, I'm not. It would only be because Luke Getzey's leaving. Because of Luke Getzey and Justin Fields together for two years in a row, being able to hear the same terminology, understanding exactly how to build around Justin, I, I think you're in a good position. If Luke Getzey was moving on, then I would I would consider it because I would want to see what type of offensive coordinator they're bringing in here and did Justin fit his plans. The other day I was reading an article from the Kansas City Chiefs, and they said from the very first moment that they drafted Patrick Mahomes, every decision they made after that was how to benefit Patrick Mahomes. And I think that's the same way they should go about their business this year. You're in a really fortunate position to have the number one pick in the draft, which I hope they trade down and get multiple picks. But now you're trying to build a football team, like Eric Kramer says, around Justin Fields. So you're not entertaining any thoughts of, of trading him or look putting Justin in some scenarios. Then, then, you try, then you start making him suspicious. This is about the Bears trying to get better with Justin Fields, their quarterback, and now how to try to develop a supporting cast. Kind of similar to the question that the guy asked me over there. Tonight, the NFL Honor Ceremony will award the league MVP. Who in your mind is most deserving of that honor this year? And while we're at it, who would you make the coach of the year? Or should we wait and see if Nick Sirianni pulls off the improbable and coaches the Eagles to a Super Bowl title? Wow. I, I like Nick Sirianni. I like his expression. I like his demeanor. I like the fact that he's uh, brash and confident about his football team. And I, I think that's all re really an important message for the head coach to have in front of the media to make sure that filters back into the locker room and those guys understand that he's got a ton of confidence in those guys. You know, in, in, in terms of the NFL MVP, it seems like quarterback is the only position we talk about. I think if you would have had a guy like – uh, uh, Justin Jefferson get over 2,000 yards receiving. Maybe he could have entered the the competition there. But, you know, when you look at what some of these quarterbacks do for their football team, you know, I'd, I'd probably pick out one of the quarterbacks around the league unless they had a guy that had 25 sacks this year, which I don't think they do. Nope. I think it's got to be one of the two quarterbacks that are set to play in 57. That's why I think the MVP's got to be. It's got to be one of those two guys. I think it's between those two guys. And I wonder if either one of those guys will be part of it tonight. Like, will they be in attendance? Will will they, will they, if they, I doubt if, it. if they, well, I mean, why did they move it to Thursday instead of Saturday? They did it last year on Thursday, too. It, it, I think it's TV. TV. It's all about it's television. All about television. Yeah. All right. I, but I think it's one of those two guys. I don't think you can give it to Justin Jefferson. There's a crowd out there that believes that Justin Jefferson should, should get it. And, um, 
as far as the, the coach of the year goes, and it has a connection to this game, I think it's Doug Peterson. I mean, a guy that was able to take the Jaguars to the postseason. Now, I know they didn't do what they wanted to do, but they got there, and a lot of teams would love just to get there. And what he did, laying hands on that quarterback down in Jacksonville, it's the kind of thing you hope is happening between Getze and Fields here in Chicago. Well, so my coach of the year is Doug Peterson. All right, I'll go with another guy the Bears interviewed and didn't hire, Brian Dable. I think he's the guy that made, made Close the second for me. It's a biggest great point. impact yep. because yeah. that's a tough place to work. Yeah. And that was a tough challenge to conquer. When you look at Daniel Jones and he hadn't succeeded and they had Saquon Barkley to somebody to get the most out of and an offensive line that had a lot of good pieces, but it all came together. And Brian Dable kept the focus in the right direction. I would make him coach of the year, even though I will give Nick Sirianni grudging amount of respect because they are in the Super Bowl and they're one victory away from building a statue of Nick Sirianni next to the Nick Foles statue outside the stadium in Philly. Next there. to the Rocky statue. Exactly. Uh, so I, 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 I'll go with Dable. Um, as far as the MVP, it will be Mahomes. It should be Mahomes. There's no other answer but Mahomes. And I love Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts maybe has made the most – he's the most improved quarterback in the National Football League in 2022. But I think it all starts with Mahomes. He did more with less. He got rid of – they got rid of Tyreek Hill, and he was still a guy that lifted the level of play of everybody else in that offensive huddle. So, it, to me, it is Patrick Mahomes. I don't think they will be there, Dustin. It's Thursday of Super Bowl week. When you look at um, the Giants and um, Detroit, and you think of Dan Campbell and Joe Judge – so are you? Are we saying that these guys are so much better of coaches and organizers, Brian Dayball and Dan Campbell, because Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, the former New England guys, were absolutely awful, and Joe Judge single-handedly tore down that franchise and was fighting with his offensive line coach during the season? That is a good question. I, I don't know what makes a good head coach a good head coach. There's so much that goes into that, that answer. But it's it's part organization, it's part motivation, it's part discipline. It's all of those things and more. Innovation. I mean, his offense, very imaginative at times. So I want to explore that further with you because we need to get into more of a conversation about the role a head coach can play on a team that has a roster that is one of the best rosters in the league. We'll get to that as we progress here. We also will get to the extra point, one of the – Hall of Fame uh, classes. Uh, the, one of the things about the NFL Honors tonight, they'll announce the Hall of Fame class for 2023. So we want to talk about Devin Hester's chances. We'll do that when we return. The pick six was brought to you by Finishing Chicago. All great finishes start with finishingchicago.com. Tom Thayer's in for Molly. It's Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Set up this extra point. It's time for the Extra Point with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. The NFL Hall of Fame class for 2023 will also be announced tonight during the NFL Awards show. Devin Hester of the Bears was upset last year by not being a first ballot Hall of Famer. Will Hester be disappointed again tonight? What do you think of his chances? And should there only be five spots available if more guys are deserving? I'm okay with five guys as long as they keep open the possibility of the seniors, uh, that committee that votes in guys and and, guy, and other coaches or executives. If they add to the list, five players is enough for me. I hope tonight that it is a memorable one for Devin Hester. I hope this is the night that he finds out he is going to be enshrined in Canton. And it could be a great moment for him. 
for Bears fans, for Dave Tobe, who's in Arizona with the, with the Chiefs and was his special teams coordinator. There are a lot of people that would take a lot of pride in Devin Hester being part of that class tonight. I think you have Joe Thomas and Darrell Rivas, to me, look like the only two locks on this group. I've seen Zach Thomas mentioned as somebody who could go in. I, uh, I'm not so sure about that. Torrey Holt probably is a receiver that is his time is now. He's a fourth-time finalist. Um, you look at his numbers, and he was part of the greatest show on turf. Darren Woodson, part of those great Cowboy defenses. You think he could be in the mix. But to me, Devin Hester was the best at what he did. And anytime you have somebody who has that designation and anybody who changed the game to the degree that he did and how teams had to prepare differently and make decisions in the course of the game because of him, he belongs. And I hope tonight it's official because last season, all right, I could get it. It was his first time on the ballot. But this year, it's time for Devin Hester to to join the, the Hall of Fame class, and I hope he's part of it tonight. Well, I hope he is too, and it would be absolutely ridiculous if he wasn't part of the class. And I also think it's big for, you know, Jeff Joniak and our guy right here, Tom Thayer, if he's inducted. They called a ton or all of his touchdowns that he had as a Chicago Bear. I think it's a three-draft class. I love that they only take five. I mean, I think all the Hall of Fames are so watered down. There don't need to be more than five, okay? And sometimes it's okay if there's none, okay? Baseball, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I'm glad there's only five. I don't need to see other guys that are undeserving of it walk across the field at the Hall of Fame game to the applause they get because there's other guys that are standing, you know, that are already been passed up that deserve it as much as some of these guys. But I am all for Devin because I think Devin, if he does get in as a returner, he'll probably be the last returner in the history of the NFL to be um, brought into the Hall of Fame because if you look at the – the lack of desire for guys to return kickoffs. They'd rather take it at the 25, which I, I think is absolutely ridiculous. And then the freedom a guy like Dave Tobe gave to Devin Hester saying, look, if you can catch it and you want to return it, then by all means do what do what you're here for. And so I, I hope Devin does go in because, you know, like I said, I, I don't think there will be another returner that will come around and, you know, get into the NFL Hall of Fame as a returner just because of what Devin was able to accomplish. And then when you look at some of these other guys on the list, every year I get disappointed that guys like Jay and Olin aren't in the Hall of Fame because, you know, when you look at a guy like Joe Thomas, with all due respect, even though I'm going to criticize him, you play on a losing team your whole career. There's no expectations of greatness. There's no expectations that you got to be the type of guy that gets your locker room and kind of gets it converted into a division-winning football team. And so, I, you know, I see a guy like Joe Thomas, a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't care how many consecutive snaps he that's played. Not, that's not his fault, though. I mean, he, he can only control what you can it's control. Not, no, it's not it's an his. an individual award. Right. So I don't know. I understand because of the fact that he didn't play in the same kind of scrutiny maybe that other, t- other players in bigger markets or successful franchises did. But if he maxed out his potential, he played at well, the Hall of Fame level. Then, then, then there's Mike Ken who played left tackle for the Atlanta Falcons for 17 years who's from Evanston, who, you know, is, it was a gr- had a great career. But unfortunately, he wasn't on a bunch of winning teams. 
And that's the, you know, Joe got anointed as this special guy because he plays all these consecutive snaps. There's a lot of guys out there in the NFL that deserve the same type of recognition that he's getting that have already been passed up. That's what we think. What do you think? Is tonight the night Devin Hester deserves to get the call and the news that he is a Hall of Famer? What do you think about Russell Westbrook? Do you want him as part of the Bulls if the Jazz buy out his contract and he's a free agent? Do you want to add him to this combustible mix with Billy Donovan just because he's coaching before? And what about the Super Bowl? Who has more at stake on Sunday, Patrick Mahomes or Jalen Hurts? A lot to cover, a lot of questions to answer. Tom Thayer is here for Mully. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Devin Hester, you! Because in reality, I'm the first to ever do it. I'm the ever the the, the change the game. Yeah. The way I did, the first one to do it, and the way it's looking now, I maybe be the last. Yeah. You know, you're gonna have some guys that may you know take one or two back in the season, but you never seen this before. You know what I mean? You seen a running back rush for two thousand yards a couple times. Have you ever seen a returner that do what I did and, and change the game? Not only change the game, but change the rule of football. Like, you've never seen no running backs change the rule of football. But I changed the game in return. Welcome back to Mullen Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, Tom Thayer in for Mully today. That was the familiar voice of Devin Hester, who was right here in the studio talking about his disappointment over getting overlooked and bypassed last year in his first year of eligibility for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Tonight, he can get in. Tonight, the news will come of the five-person class announced on uh, television. The NFL Honors, I believe, begins at 7 o'clock Central Time. Tom Thayer, I wonder if eventually, this probably won't happen, but does there need to be a special category for specialists? Guys who aren't part of your top 22 necessarily, Guys who are the, frankly, the, the, I mean, we're very provincial in Chicago, but the Patrick Manleys of the world, the Devin Hesters of the world, returners, long snappers, punters, guys who play very big roles on very good teams, but when you're comparing the bodies of work to Torrey Holt or Zach Thomas or Joe Thomas, they're going to fall short only because they're not as big of a part of every Sunday. Right, but we're still talking about the magnificence and the ridiculousness of Devin Hester, and that's the reason he's even getting, um, you, you know, they're thinking about putting him in the NFL because of, of his greatness at what he did on a football field. I don't want a special category because I don't need okay. 30 kickers in it, and I don't <laughs> I don't need a bunch of punters in it and stuff like that. Just, you know, Devin Hester, again, he left his mark on the NFL, and especially as he was, we're not – I mean – so who's the next who's the next returner in the conversation? Cordero Patterson? I think so. Right. So he I you do. know, he he's the next guy. I do too. And he's luckily he had the freedom that was given to him by Chris Tabor, who was the special teams coach of the Bears, that kind of put him, you know, it kept him on the map because they gave him a lot of freedom. But he's a kick returner. He's not a kick and punt returner. And Devin is that is in that special category and the reason he's getting the consideration to be in the NFL 
is because years after the fact that, you know, we're still talking about what he was able to accomplish and the greatness that he put on display, the excitement that he brought into every single NFL stadium, whether it's home or away. And then he did factor in the outcome of games um, that, you know, the Bears were able to win because of him. So I don't I don't want a special category. Then just make it something else then. You know, put you put put your if you're going to be put in the NFL Hall of Fame, then be put in the NFL Hall of Fame. Five kickoff return touchdowns in his career in the regular season, 14 punt return touchdowns over the course of his career. And of course, the one postseason kickoff return for touchdown. Everybody remembers the most electric Bears moment of the of this millennium at uh, the Super Bowl in Miami when he returned the opening kickoff. So, yes, he changed the game. He's got the credentials. I wonder if tonight will be the night. 312-644-6767. Let us know what you think. We're getting a lot of good reaction on the text line. Devin Hester absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame, 847 says. His punt and kickoff returns reminded me of the home run chase that McGuire and Sosa had. It was must-see television. But oh, So that texter said right there, his punt and kickoff returns. When you say he had five kickoff returns and then 14 punt returns, I don't know. You know, they used to say the kickoff return is the most exciting play in football. But when you talk about a punt return, you talk about trying to change field position. You talk about how demoralizing it is to your opponent when you have a punt return that, you know, results in a touchdown. To me, it was Devin, was Devin Hester's greatness started by his punt return and then carried over to his kickoff returns or was it the wrong way? Cause like I said, your texter brought up punt and kickoff returns. And so he was they, just electric. Yeah. I guess in, in both cases, when he went deep, whether when they were kicking or punting him the ball, it was, you didn't want to leave your seat. You didn't want to leave your couch. You had to pay attention. And it wasn't a, a play you could take off as a viewer as a broadcaster or any whatever the case may be, he was going to make it worth the wait and worth the watch. 217 checks me, Tom. He says, when I, I didn't mean to dismiss Zach Thomas. I kind of rolled by him really casually as a potential member of this Hall of Fame class. He says, David, you need to look at Zach Thomas. Five times first team all pro, more than Erlacher. That may put him over the top. Zach Thomas may be a member of, of, t- of tonight's class that you hear announced on, on the NFL Honor Show. Yeah, you know, all right, so first and second down, two similar linebackers come up, fill the hole, hit hard. Where are they in third down? What are Zach Thomas's contributing stats to nickel defense, third down defense, and pass coverage responsibilities? Because I think that's the separation between Zach Thomas and Erlacher. In my last year when I was in the Dolphins, with the Dolphins, it's two different players. Brian talks a lot about where he didn't like to study a lot lot of tape because he just wanted to react accordingly and use his athleticism whereas Zach Thomas got there early studied hours of tape before we got together for meetings and stayed late at night studying tape so they they were able to perfect their craft on on two different routes you mentioned what you think about Joe Thomas wasn't part of a very good team in Cleveland so maybe there was less pressure what about Darrell Revis where do you stand on him is that a no-brainer to you just kind of because it's such an individualistic 
kind of a, a, a spot on a roster that what you have to do and according to even be considered how great you need to be to cover the best receiver of your opponent and how much effect that has on the opponent's offensive coordinator. So, you know, yeah, you know, on, on a lot of bad teams, but he, he played a premier position. Before we break, optimistically, say Devin Hester gets in tonight and we're able to celebrate that in Chicago. Who's the next bear in line? for the Hall of Fame consideration. Who is the most deserving bear after Devin Hester when we talk about Hall of Fame credentials? Again, I'm, I'm always going to be bummed about Jay and Olin, but Charles Tillman, you know, I think that he left a mark on the NFL. He left such a big footprint that it's being taught in high school, college, and pro. And the tapes of examples of what the peanut punch means is Charles Tillman doing it so it's not like Charles Tillman has been able to go and perfect the peanut punch now it is spread wildly across the landscape of the NFL defensive players no it's a special talent it's a special way that you have to formulate your plan of attack while the football is in the air and I think uh, Charles needs that consideration so the Hall of Fame class is announced tonight we can talk about that we will also get to the Russell Westbrook possibility with the Bulls throughout the show. That is a big story in town, as well as the Kevin Durant trade. Blockbuster overnight. He's going to the Phoenix Suns from the Brooklyn Nets. But you know what? We want to get into the Super Bowl. It is Super Bowl week. Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes. Want to talk to Tom Thayer and tap into his expertise when we get back. It's Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.